From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The election of Joe Biden has kick-started global debate over the need to take serious action to combat climate change. But here in Australia, the Prime Minister Scott Morrison is caught between the global mood and more conservative elements of his own government. Climate policy tensions aren't just playing out in the coalition, though. The Labor Party is also fractured on the issue. Today, the Saturday Paper's chief political correspondent, Karen Middleton, on how the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition are grappling with climate policy. Karen, let's start with the Coalition. There are pro-coal members of the government who have been applying pressure on Scott Morrison. So tell me how that has been playing out. Yes, that's right. In particular, the Nationals are very keen to be seen to be supporting the fossil fuel industry and particularly the coal industry. We have seen Scott Morrison do that too, of course. He famously came into Parliament with a lump of coal in his hand and said, don't be afraid of this. This is coal. Don't be afraid. The don't be scared. The treasurer knows Brandishing it at the opposition. It's coal. It was dug up by men and women who... But really, the driving force behind action on coal has been the Nationals. And in the past week or so, we've seen a little parade of Nationals going into the Labor-held seat of Hunter in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, talking up their desire for a greater effort in coal-fired power. We should be using Hunter Valley coal to protect the environment and create jobs here in Australia. We saw the Queensland National Senator Matt Canavan, who's formerly the Resources Minister, turning up there in Hunter, saying that he thought that, that the federal government should be using the constitutional power that it has, a defence power, to build a coal-fired power station in that seat. I think we should use our defence powers, as we did to build Snowy Hydro, and build a coal-fired power station in the Hunter Valley here using the world's best thermal coal. Last year we had... Michael McCormack, the leader of the Nationals, was less vociferous on the point about a power station but was certainly talking up his advocacy for coal and criticising his opponents when he visited the Hunter around about the same time last week. Yes, coal's suffering. We will always, as Nationals, support the coal industry. Uh, yes, the Hunter is having a bit of a downturn. I understand that. So, Karen, is this pressure from various Nationals, is it proving effective? Because you point out that Scott Morrison brandished that lump of coal in Parliament a few years ago, but lately we've been hearing a lot more from him about a gas-led recovery. So is that still the path that he seems to be pushing for? Yes, that's right. The Prime Minister is still focused on what he's calling a gas-led recovery. Get more gas, more often and more reliably. He's been trying to encourage the gas industry to invest more and back in the economy as it tries to recover from the pandemic. By resetting our East Coast gas market, unlocking additional gas to drive recovery, paving the way ultimately for a world-leading Australian gas hub. So he's been suggesting that gas is a way that the economy can recover. You get more gas into the system, it drives down prices. There's been a controversial Narrabri gas project that's seen a lot of debate and discussion that has now been approved at the federal level. That's in the northwest of New South Wales. And despite some opposition from Indigenous leaders and farmers in the area, the federal government's now given the environmental approvals for that. And Karen, Scott Morrison gave a speech alongside the G20 summit recently, and there did 
seemed to be a slight shift in the way that he was talking about climate change. Can you tell me what you're noticing? We did see a change in rhetoric from our own Prime Minister who started talking about saving the planet and the importance of sustainable energy. As G20 members, we all have important responsibilities to the present, but also to the future. Which was a pretty noticeable rhetorical shift from the kinds of language we've heard from him before and from that day in the parliament with the lump of coal. We must all take action to safeguard our planet for our peoples and for the generations to come. So you are seeing now Scott Morrison trying to edge away from the hard conservative position in favour of fossil fuels and sort of have two bob each way, be seen to be advocating for action on climate change to meet the world where it's going, but not to alienate his own constituency, particularly on the conservative side of politics at home. Carbon capture and storage, green steel and aluminium. These can make massive inroads into reducing emissions, not just here in Australia, taking care of our commitments, but globally as well. Australia remains... So what is motivating this change, Karen? Is it all about the US election and, and Joe Biden? Well, the impetus for this change does seem to have been the election of Joe Biden, who's been very strong in favour of action on climate change. For the first time ever, the United States will have a full-time climate leader participate in, min- in ministerial level meetings. And that's a fancy way of saying they'll have a seat at every table around the world. For the first time- He's now appointed John Kerry to be his envoy on climate change around the world, and this is being seen as the impetus for the world to shift. Let me be clear. I don't for a minute underestimate the difficulties of meeting my bold commitments to fighting climate change. But at the same time, No one should underestimate for a minute my determination to do just that. But the political pressure is probably greater on Anthony Albanese in the Labor side at the moment than it is on Scott Morrison. And the Labor leader is under pressure to make sure he doesn't forget the working people that are supporters of Labor, particularly miners in the fossil fuel industry. So both sides of politics are really trying to find a middle ground in terms of energy and climate change these days. The Liberals are having to shift, as I said, back to the centre and be seen to be acknowledging the global mood in terms of action on climate change. But it is a difficult political issue to manage for both of them and it's been a diabolical political issue in Australia for more than a decade and it's claimed leaders on both sides of politics as a result. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest, Grief is for People. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Karen, let's talk some more about how climate policy is playing out within Labor. It all seemed to start when Joel Fitzgibbon quit the Labor front bench and then went on to criticise Anthony Albanese. Can you tell me about what's happened since then? Well, Joel Fitzgibbon and Anthony Albanese have been at loggerheads on the way Labor is portraying its climate and energy policy. The reason Joel Fitzgibbon cares so much is he represents the Hunter Valley where there are a lot of coal mining workers and so it's a politically existential issue for him. He nearly lost his seat over this issue at last year's federal election and he wants to make sure that Labor doesn't lose that seat in future. I I wasn't uh, prepared to allow uh, the cheesecloth brigade in the caucus uh, to use Biden's win to argue for even more ambitious climate change policy, an ambitious policy... Which... Anthony Albanese insists that they are on the same page in terms of the policy substance and that, in fact, everything that's been said publicly lately it accords with Labor's policy, which is to make sure that the mining industry is looked after, particularly the people working in it, as we transition away from fossil fuels. If you've got a 50% renewable energy target... Uh, By definition, there's 50% coming from fossil fuels. So let's be realistic. Now, Joel Fitzgibbon has told people privately for some time that Anthony Albanese promised him after the last election that he would make sure he spoke out in favour of coal mine workers and that he would advocate for them quite enthusiastically, that he would turn up at a coal mine and do so from there. Fitzgibbon, after losing his front bench position, did a remarkable number of interviews uh, within one 24-hour period. He's on the line, the Labor MP for the Hunter, Joel Fitzgibbon. Good morning. Joel Fitzgibbon joins us in our Parliament House studios. Labor Joel MP Fitzgibbon. Joel Fitzgibbon joins me now from Canberra. Joel, thanks for coming on the show. Advocating not only for more stridency on energy policy, but also that the climate change spokesperson for Labor, Mark Butler, be removed from his portfolio. Now, that was an interesting call and he made it over and over. Well, I, I don't uh, want to show any lack of, uh, any level of disrespect uh, for Mark, but he has been in that portfolio for seven years. We've lost two elections. And over. I do think that You know, Mark can go to another senior portfolio. He's a very smart guy. There are plenty of things he could do. But we need a new advocate bringing a fresh face and a fresh... And in a sense, that puts Anthony Albanese in a very difficult position because if Albanese was to sack Mark Butler, his constituency on the left of the party that advocates for more climate change would see that as him selling out. But if he was to dig in and not do what Fitzgibbon is asking for, then the right of the party could accuse him of not listening to advice. So he's in a difficult spot, and I suspect that Fitzgibbon knows that, which does beg the question, what is his real objective? Is it on climate change policy and energy, or is it really just to put pressure on Anthony Albanese so much so that that he faces a challenge? Mm. And does this pose a serious threat to Albanese's leadership, in your opinion? Not right at the moment, but I think it could in the future. There are no challenges at the moment, much as Joel Fitzgibbon might think that he's won. Nobody sees him as a future leader of the party. But that doesn't mean he can't make trouble. There are other candidates who fancy themselves a chance at the leadership in the future, but none of them want it now, which tells you that they think that they're not likely to win the next election. So why would you want to grab the leadership ahead of an election defeat? The likes of Tanya Plibersek, Richard Miles, Jim Chalmers, Chris Bowen, Tony Burke, a whole lot of people on the Labor side would see themselves as potential future leaders, but none of them are ready to step up at the moment. 
However, what we do know from politics from years, from decades of these kinds of stouches is that once there is an expression of public unhappiness with a leader, if it's repeated and repeated and there isn't something that acts as a circuit breaker, uh, it becomes a dangerous situation and eventually somebody does step up. And I think that's the risk for Anthony Albanese. He wouldn't want Joel Fitzgibbon to continue to make noise with either the objective of changing his policy or of changing the leader. Uh, neither one is going to be good for Anthony Albanese heading into the next federal election when, as they say, disunity is death. Mm. And Karen, as you mentioned earlier, we've seen climate change policy destroy a succession of prime ministers on both sides of politics. So with that in mind, how well equipped do you think that both Anthony Albanese and Scott Morrison are as the leaders of their respective parties to navigate this? Uh, I think it's a difficult political issue for both leaders. I think it's a more dangerous issue in a personal sense for Anthony Albanese simply because there is also this dissatisfaction or unrest with his performance. People have not written him off on the Labor side. They are not ready to replace him. It is not at that stage by any stretch. It's certainly salvageable by him. But it's, it's always dangerous when people start to mutter about whether the leader is the right person for the job. And so this issue could become a vehicle for more of that unhappiness. That's why it's dangerous for Anthony Albanese. On the coalition side, Scott Morrison's popularity is high. There is no suggestion that that it's a leadership threat to him, not in any sense. In fact, he's got an incredibly high popularity ratings. But he has to navigate the complexities of an issue that the coalition has used politically for a very long time and he can no longer afford to use it that way because while the world was also lagging on climate change action, it was convenient for the federal coalition to use it as a political weapon against Labor. And I think there's momentum from the general public in Australia. We had a terrible summer last summer, as we all know, of bushfires, um, record heat and terrible drought. We're seeing very tumultuous weather conditions. There's a a lot of talk and focus on climate change. I don't think it's feasible anymore for climate change to be used as the blunt instrument that it has been on the coalition side of politics, and that is the challenge for Scott Morrison. He now has to remake himself without being seen to totally abandon his domestic constituency. And, And we do know that in the past even popular leaders have found themselves running foul of this issue because they played the politics wrong. So that's something that Scott Morrison does need to watch. Karen, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ruby. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, new data shows that the Australian economy grew 3.3% in the September quarter. The latest figures from the Australian Bureau of Statistics reflect an increase in spending as COVID-19 restrictions were eased. However, annual growth is still negative and the economy is 3.8% smaller than the same time last year. And the New South Wales government has announced significant changes to state COVID-19 restrictions to come into effect from next Monday. 
The easing of restrictions means capacity at restaurants, bars, churches and cafes will double and nightclubs will reopen. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.